So welcome to the first ever episode of the Paddock Talk podcast with your hosts, me, Taylor, Joe and Nat. The topics we're going to be covering today are Hamilton's contract, the new proposed sprint race format, the engine freeze, some track changes and taking a look at the proposed EA acquisition of Codemasters. Starting off with the major news that everybody following F1 would have seen over the last few days is that Lewis Hamilton has finally put pen to paper on a new deal and he will drive for Mercedes this season. It ultimately completes the lineup in F1 from the driver perspective for 2021 and it means that Lewis does have the chance to go for a record-breaking 8th Drivers World Championship and try and eclipse the 7 that is currently titled with Michael Schumacher. Realistically, only Red Bull can match a challenge to the Mercedes team this year and based on the past few seasons, it does not look likely that they'll be able to do so to do anything to stop the Mercedes dominance we are currently in. Therefore, the main story regarding Hamilton's contract extension that we will be discussing tonight is that the fact he has only signed a one-year deal. Usually, Lewis has typically signed a three-year extension, but on this occasion, it's just a one-year deal. And that's also the same as his teammate Valtteri Bottas, meaning both coveted seats on the market for Mercedes will be available in 2022. That ties into the time frame of George Russell's Williams contract coming to a close, and he is largely tipped to fill one of those seats. Three to two simply does not go. So, what do we make of Mercedes' 2022 driver options? I think, I think it, a lot of people obviously wanted Russell in the seat this year, um, but you can't just get rid of a seven-time world champion. I mean, it's ridiculous the way some people just dismissed him. Um, but I think that uh, it's going to be difficult because you, I don't think they're going to want Bottas as, a t- Bottas as a team leader with Russell. And Hamilton is the perfect person for Russell to learn off as well. But it just brings in so much more uncertainty now with this one-year deal. Yeah, I think obviously the fact that it's only a one-year deal obviously makes it quite interesting really because... Has a lot of question marks as to why it's only a one-year deal and not possibly a two or three-year deal. Um, obviously, Russell's contract coming up at the end of the year. I think Mercedes would be quite mad not to bring him into the Mercedes fold for 2022. I think Bottas is, although he's a very dependable driver, he's not one that could probably lead a team, as you said, to like a title really. Um, Hamilton, it's just uncertain about what happens for 2022 of him. But I think one way or another, I don't think Bottas is got a long future ahead of Mercedes. No, I I agree actually. Um, as as a Russell fan myself, I would love to have him in the car as you know as right now. But uh, just for his development, I don't really think a year alongside Bottas would really help him as much as a year alongside Hamilton would. Um, and from Mercedes' point of view, throwing in Russell to partner Bottas when you have the well the record setter that is Lewis Hamilton on the table it's just not really a viable option when you look at it from their perspective because there is the chance that if they have a bad season which could generally happen you know Bottas what didn't set the world alight last year that much um there could be the chance that if Russell struggled to settle in with the team that Red Bull could sneak a championship in, which they don't really want. Obviously, they want to protect this, in well, unfathomable run of dominance that they've had. Like the the Sakia Grand Prix was undoubtedly the worst thing that could have happened to Bottas. Not only did it make all the fans question him, it also made probably his team question him. And if it'd be interesting to see if that race had happened before Bottas got his contract nailed down, would Mercedes have kept Bottas on? Because I agree with what you all said that 
Russell would undoubtedly learn more alongside Hamilton for a year than Bottas. And but if Hamilton does walk away next year, they're left with the prospect of a uh, Russell Bottas lineup. And uh, the major curveball for next year is the fact that the regulations are coming in. Will they want two new drivers together? Probably not. It's probably going to be have to be Russell and Bottas. So they're going to have to pray that Hamilton does decide to stick around. Um, I think Hamilton will probably stick around for 2022 because I think he'd want to see in these new regulations and see what the cars are like. Because I think in the media as well, he's shown quite a lot of um, approval of the new regulations coming in. However, I do think if he does go, uh, I think Mercedes with the the position they're in at the moment, obviously top of the constructors, they've, won, they've dominated the series since 2014. I think they'd be quite mad not to use that sort of power they have in the sport at the moment to look outside the box maybe, look outside that Mercedes sphere. Because at the end of the day, if a team ever, ever driver, you know, he's on the market or whatever and Mercedes come knocking at his door, they're not going to say no. Mercedes will, at the moment, are top choice for pretty much every it's single the most driver. It's the most covered spot in motorsport. If, 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 if Mercedes yeah. wants to drive for you, you'll go in. Mike, but I'm pretty sure Verstappen would have break clause in his contract. Vettel had them at Red Bull and he was a four-time world champion. So the likelihood is Verstappen has them. But whether Mercedes would want to go through the ordeal of having a Verstappen-Russell lineup could be like the Hamilton-Rosberg dynamic, who knows, is unknown. So that's why probably if, if Hamilton does walk away, or, well, regardless, they're probably going to put Russell in that seat. I think we can all agree on that. Russell, it would be stupid to give him another year at Williams, especially at, at the back. He needs to be in that Mercedes for 2022. Yeah. And it's a decision, yeah, Hamilton definitely. or Bottas. Yeah. And you're always going to pick Hamilton. But if Hamilton doesn't, if Hamilton doesn't want to go, Bottas has to stay. Yeah, I think, I think the issue is, though, what uh, Mercedes want to avoid is sort of a Seb-Leclerc-star uh, dynamic where Seb... And in this case, Hamilton is the established uh, team leader. You know, they have sort of a wingman, someone who's never really going to challenge them in a in a Kimi or a Bottas. And what 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 you can what what will happen is Russell might come through and he'll start disrupting that establishment. Um, like with Leclerc, you know, Leclerc sort of unsettled Seb a bit, and um, you know, it took a mm. while not not a while, but obviously the first few races Seb was ahead, but then. You know, he started getting that preferential treatment. And it's like with Ricardo and Max as well. Ricardo felt he was getting unfairly treated. And so he left. I think they don't want Russell to come in and sort of start taking, taking away that sort of limelight from Hamilton. And sort of, because they've Mercedes have said, and Toto Wolff repeatedly have said, they very much enjoy the dynamic between Bottas and Hamilton because it's a very safe, stable dynamic. Um, but when you see things like Hamilton alone could have won the Constructors' Championship for... Uh, Mercedes this year or last year, you know, that you, you have to get Russell in really because Bottas is, is such a safe bet that you're not getting any money on it anymore. <laughs> like that, that's, that's, that's what we've come to. I think like going back to when Taylor said about uh, the Sakir Grand Prix, I think that's also sort of uh, a bit that really shook Bottas because he was in not really that much of a good run of form at that time anyway, he had the Eiffel Grand Prix where he was beaten by Hamilton after leading for the opening portion of the race. Uh, he made a mistake, which led Hamilton to be able to overtake him. Uh, race as Imola, where he was struggling for pace for up until we had the safety car from Max Verstappen's tyre failure. Obviously, that was down to that bit of Ferrari carbon fibre stuck in the car, but that still 
quite a big thing because at the time he probably didn't know that and nor did Mercedes until they actually saw it on the car. Um, then you had Turkey after Imola, which was obviously a disastrous race for Bottas, uh, which, uh, a time where he really could have shown that he was a team leader at some stage with both of the cars being in the mid-pack at the start. Instead, he was, you know, the, the um, established commentators made jokes about his driving that race because it wasn't up to the standards that someone in a Mercedes should be doing. And then obviously, Sakir came around and he looked at the start, you know, it's about two tenths between him and Russell, and then it got lower and lower and lower. Russell then matched him, then was comprehensively beating him before the debacle happened. I think that has really played on his mind. And if he wants to prove something to Mercedes, he actually has to act on it now, because this is the most important year of his career because this yeah, could this decide break. yeah this could decide if he actually has a future in f1 i think because outside of mercedes there's not really any other bet for him to go if but i feel he like we said that every leave. year we said that every I, year I this, this, year. this is his fifth year and he's ever had more than a one-year contract that just exactly. and, and every year he comes out strong and it and it full it tricks mercedes to thinking mm. Okay, yeah, he's changed, and then he gets the contract, and then he's but absolutely think, rubbish for the rest of the season. But I think it, it sounds like the thing. I think obviously take that into consideration. But I think with the fact that Verstappen's only getting stronger with more experience, he gets Red Bull are now much more stronger as a result anyway with the acquisition of Perez, which is very good for them. But I generally do think that this is a break on a make or break year for Bottas because Russell has shown what he can do in that Mercedes on a short notice. I know... This yeah, is like... and also, there, there was never... Beforehand, there was never a replacement. They never fully mm. trusted Ocon. Now yeah. Russell's coming to end his Williams contract. And like that's probably one of the reasons. I'd imagine Williams would let him go if they had to pay a fee. Why would you pay a fee for nothing when you've got someone who can be a good second driver? Whereas now that's Russell it. will be free. He can come back and they've got that ready-made replacement. Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I, th- I think in terms of Verstappen as well, I think... Um, 2022 is probably a bit too too early for him. Um, I think, especially because you know Red Bull have basically done everything for Verstappen. He is their absolute number one. Without without him, they're pretty stuffed. Um, and you know, with this Honda deal, which we'll get to later, and the engine freeze, you know, that is perfectly lined up for Red Bull to remain competitive. You know, if he if he jumps ship to Merck, I think. I don't think that'll happen until sort of maybe 2024 or something, you know, much later on. I think right now they're trying to get him. Hamilton. Yeah, he's the Hamilton replacement, but only if Hamilton goes a slight, in slightly in a few more years rather than right now. Right now, I mean, if Hamilton walks away at the end of the season, I think that, yeah, that Russell is, Russell will be there with Bottas. I mean, that is, but that's, that's later on, but yeah. It's like when, when you look at it, it's, with the Russell situation, it's a bit of a difficult one to really predict what's going to happen because he got the short end of the stick when he came into F1 out of the three people that were promoted that season. Um, and since then, he's done very well with what he's been able, what, what he's had, really. Um, comprehensively beating his teammates every single qualifying session, which obviously that is generally the match of how good a driver is over one lap. Then... In the races as well, he's been consistently, especially this season, well, last season, um, mixing it in with the Haas's, sometimes 
Jovanazzi or Raikkonen if the Alfa Romeo wasn't quite working too well. But he's only he's hungry for that Mercedes seat because he's seen what he can do in it. He knows what he can do, and he knows that Bottas has faltered a little bit. So he really does want that seat, and he's going to try everything in his power to get it. And I don't see any other way of him not getting it, really. We, we talk of a fine line for Bottas, a make-or-break campaign for Bottas this year, but it's also make-or-break for Mercedes, because they're now reaching that fine line where it, keeping Bottas is the safe option. He delivers the Constructors' Championship. What more can you want? He can't, like, he, obviously he can do more, but as a team dynamic, you can't do more. But now they're crossing that border where it's like, okay, we now we've got to start considering our own future. Like, how long do we delay Russell just to keep this Hamilton-Bottas partnership? It's like, how, it's like how it's like a football now? team. He's, he's, he's in his thirties, right? Uh, yeah, he's like 30, yeah, thirty-one. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a football team, like Liverpool, for example. That team's growing old. They've not replenished it, and they might hit a sharp decline, or they are in a sharp decline now. Merck, if if it gets to the point where they delay Russell too much, he he might either leave, or if he doesn't leave and gets put in the seat in another year, he might not be ready. And by that time, the domination might not be as big. They might have a closer competitor because McLaren yeah. and Aston Martin are on the rise. And then suddenly that driver difference makes a huge difference to their actual points points tally. Oh, exactly. When it comes to crunch time, when it comes to crunch time, like we saw in 2018, you know, he finished fifth and he got zero wins. Yes, he got unlucky in the first half of the season with a few times like a Baku or Bahrain or China. But when it, it comes to crunch time, if, yeah, when it comes to crunch yeah. time and if there's an actual title rival, Hamilton's not getting any help. Like, mm. you know, if you even look at Silverstone 2018, you know, he was meant to do a, do a you know, solid job and he, and he fell back. And then like in Hungary as well, his, his response was hold Vettel up and then just career into the side of him. Like mm. when, it, yeah. when it comes to that, when the pressure is on and not just him, him versus Hamilton, oh, I beat him by 500s in quality, you know, and, and he just about beats him or whatever, or Hamilton has a bad day. Russell, you can Russell can easily do the same job as him. Mm. Um, and if you look at the classical, if you go back to history and look at some of the classic number twos, like at Ferrari, like an Irvine or a Barrichello, they they at some point they go, okay, if we keep this driver, nothing's really is going to change, but we might as well change it, you know, just to get a bit of a fresher environment. Like when mm. they got Barrichello, he's they said, okay, Irvine's not bad, like he's not terrible. I mean, he didn't. He didn't win the '99 championship, which he should have. Which, which he should have done with their, with, in their with, eyes, with, yeah. With with their very good '99 car, mm. and they went, "All right, but well, he's not. He's not terrible, but Barrichello is slightly more exciting, so let's get him in." And it's the same thing with Russell Bottas. Bottas, yes, he's not a bad driver, but he's never gonna. He's not amazing. He's not good enough for you think. Yeah, we really need to keep this guy, and you've got a really exciting mm. talent in Russell. Yeah, I'd say as well, it's the best time for Russell to come up as well, because obviously you've got new regulations coming in next season, the major aerodynamic and, you know, all the major changes that are coming in. Everyone's going to be on a clean slate, uh, as in the drivers. Obviously, they're you know, going to be totally unfamiliar with the cars. So it's, there's not really much of a better time for Russell to come into that team when everyone else is sort of in a similar position, going into the complete unknown with these, with these, new, with these new cars. And obviously... It should be quite a smooth transition, really, because obviously he's already had. I was actually shocked that they didn't. I was stunned when they like fair enough. Bottas won the opening race in Austria, and then they announced him straight after of the year. I was stunned they did that. I thought, to me, but obviously I'm not. I don't see all the data that Mercedes have got. Obviously, we can't 
we can't like say the decision was wrong or right. It's, it's up to them. But from my position or from my opinion, they should have had Russell in the see how it developed. Had and if they would have seen how it developed, they would have seen Bottas's decline throughout the season. They should have mm-hmm. had Russell in the car for twenty one ahead of the regulation change. Give Russell a year to bed in alongside Hamilton. They'd have won this year's championship anyway, probably. Yeah, yeah. Red Bull yeah. allow something miraculous. And then you got Russell adapted to the car for twenty twenty two. Like when, when, when you like mention, yeah. Well, when you mention his like when he won the first race of the season, it's like that's that's a common thing with Bottas. Is he has some races where he is a really good match for Hamilton. And, you know, there are some times where you think, okay, maybe he might actually do something a bit better than before. You know, 20, was it 2019, he started off with a very good opening race of the season, an incredible strategy he made work there, and then faltered uh, after about Spain. You know, he was match almost matching Hamilton. You know, they were trading wins each race, and then we got to Spain, and then Hamilton obviously kicked up that extra gear and really stretched his legs. I think Bottas can have those races where he can match him, but he's just never going to be... Obviously, he's not there to be to be matching him week in, week out, but he's just... He has the tendency too much to let things slip. And I think even though he has that tendency, Mercedes don't really want to get rid of him because of the scared that Russell might actually be a bit better than what they think. But obviously they don't have the data that we, we don't have the data that they have. So yeah. we can't really go and good say point to end this, end this topic on is so if we go around who, what do we think Mercedes 2022 lineups going to be? I think it will be Russell and Hamilton. Yeah. Safe, but I'd probably, yeah. I'd probably I, agree on that one as well with Russell and, uh, Russell and Hamilton. I think it's the yeah. common consensus. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, but I could also see a tiny change and maybe it'd be Russell. And say Hamilton has a shock retirement and Bottas also gets replaced by Russell and they don't bring him back. I generally could see um, Ocon there because he's still, spot, he's still um, managed by Toto and Toto pulled a lot of strings to get him back into F1 in 2019 I'd say this year Um, and we saw at the end of 2020 he was improving and I think with a year under his belt which is always difficult to come back to from you when you've had a year off especially in F1 you've had a year off he's not he did nothing the entire season apart from a couple of tests you know and to come back and he actually was quite right got a podium in Sakir and was very, very comfortable come the end of the season. I think that if he has a really good season and they in 2021 and they do get rid of Bottas for Russell and then Hamilton has a shot retirement at the end of 2021, I generally do see Ocon in that seat. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think it is the other alternative. Definitely. It's definitely possible. I agree, yeah. All right, then. So with that topic done, we're now going to have a look at the, uh, the F1 Commission had a meeting earlier today. Uh, as we're recording this on a Wednesday, and they one of the main things they talked about was agreeing, verbally agreeing with a quote broad consensus, um, to trial a new qualifying format, which is expected to be a sprint race, um, at some point at some Grand Prix in 2021. So a group has now been set up to finalise the details of this plan, uh, with a final vote 
uh, expected to be at the end of the month. Uh, there's also mentioned that there's no chance of a reverse grid element that was shot down at the end of last year. Um, and the weekend format would now look like uh, this. So on a Friday, it would have FP1 in the morning and then qualifying, taking the normal qualifying format, taking the FP2 slot. And then on Saturday, some people think there might still be an FP3 in the morning, um, but not really confirmed yet. And then the sprint race would be in the qualifying, where not qualifying would normally be in the afternoon. Um, and then Sunday is the main race as usual. And there's also sort of talk about how are this, uh, the uh, support series going to sort of slot around this. Uh, but that will be discussed at a later date, I imagine, when the final proposal comes up. And it will take place, they're aiming at Canada, Italy and Brazil. And it requires a super majority vote, um, which means 28 out of the 30 votes, which is across the FIA uh, and the F1 teams, needs to be approved. But it is looking fairly likely at this stage that it will indeed get approved. So uh, what do we think, guys? I, I don't know with it really um i think it's obviously designed to create more unpredictability so we have more results like monza and sakir um but i don't think it's really going to improve the racing product the a positive to it could be um f1 fans for years now have been really asking for more meaningful track time across a weekend you know three practice sessions people have been saying is too much and i think reducing it to maybe two or one is good and then having a qualifying plus an extra race that's that's that sells more tickets because it's more of a spectacle but from an actual racing product standpoint i don't think there's going to be that much of an improvement because it's just like a a baby grand prix on the saturday um maybe if they implemented it more in 2022 and the new cars are really good then yeah i'd be all for it but i just don't really see how it's going to be that good in with the 2021 cars yeah i think following on from that i think obviously it it as you said obviously it gives uh, more meaningful track action because obviously from my experience of being to uh, grand prix weekends having free practice sessions it can it's it can be quite boring you know, you know, you get like a whole day dedicated to just practice sessions, and then a, a Saturday, which is another practice session, and a qualifying session, which goes quite quick. So I think, in the regard of like for people who are actually at the track, I think obviously having a sprint race on a Saturday is quite good. The only problem is, however, is that I think the racing is going to be diluted because the fact that it's reduced points on the Saturday that are being uh, reported, the fact that it's reduced points, I think that. Everyone's going to be driving a bit more conservatively, thinking about the Sunday's main race. No one's going to be kind of risking um, themselves to gain loads of positions, unless obviously at the back of the grid where they've got nothing to lose, really. But I think for the most part, at the front of the grid, there's not going to be a lot of action because everyone's just going to be thinking, not, you know, keep, hold, hold ground. Yeah, I think, I think on, a, on, on that first point as well, and, and Joel's point as well, actually, about spectators, um, what, what one of the things they mentioned is that you get a main event on every day of of the weekend format. So on Friday you have mm-hmm. a big, you know, you have the main qualifying event, um, and then on a Saturday you have a race, and then Sunday you have another race. Um, yeah. So I guess from that perspective, you know, it's better for like more tickets, for fans. isn't it? Exactly. You get you yeah. get, uh, you have a mu- must watch event on mm-hmm. every day, 
So in terms it's of like a festival type thing, isn't it? That's the yeah, thing exactly. It's, it's like a yeah. racing festival, but it's just one series, which is quite a good idea. In yeah, some in, in, ter- in terms of you know you know broadcasters will have to have you know a Friday thing now, but you know people are, wor- are working. Uh, I guess you know on a Friday, but you know with I guess with these uh, with or at least with two of the races, Canada and Brazil, they'll be what will that be? They'll be in the evening anyway. So I guess I guess yeah. I guess that would work. I, maybe that's why they picked those races. Um, but and obviously like, Italy's just to trial it if it you know for the European time zone to see yeah. what it would do. Because yeah, I think exactly. the, Italy needs spicing up anyway. Yeah, Italy does need yeah. spicing up. Um, but it's like you no, know, you said like the people watching it might be at work or something i think i think there might be a little bit of a dip in viewership figures because of that on certain days i think if you look at like the qualify if there's like um like a qualifying viewership figure i think that it might go down a little bit because of the time zone and from my own experience when i've gone to grand prix there's been years when because of school i've had to go only on saturday and sunday so i've gone over on the friday afternoon after school at like five o'clock or something to silverstone and then I've been there for Saturday and Sunday. It's like you've missed qualifying at that point, but you still yeah. obviously then. Then the upside is you then get two races to look forward to, which exactly it it balances like it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I have a couple of positives, but then mostly negatives. I'm quite against it. And obviously, I like I agree with the, what you said about for the people at the track, it's brilliant. There's one less uh, free practice session. There's uh, they get more product for what they're paying. Um, and I'm glad they're trialing it. It's like, unlike the elimination quality in 2016, where they just threw it in from the start and hoped it would stick. At least they're actually trialing this, so fans can kind of get an gauge for what, what they feel like, feel about it. Then the FIA and the promoters can decide, right, is this a good thing or not? There could be and sort then... of more of a build-up towards it as well. Like, we're yeah. doing Canada this week. Let's see yeah. what happens rather than <laughs> doing it on 6am in the morning for European viewers oh. and ha- not having the last four cars come out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. elimination yeah. qualifying like that was just a total disaster. Waited, waited all winter, and then there was just two Mercedes on track at the end, and they, and that was with four minutes to go. There was nobody on track. It was yeah. like a, a, a dismal idea. Time. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of the negatives, and I think there's going to be quite a few from all of us. Um, in terms of qualifying, I I kind of find that it just makes qualify like the actual Saturday qualifying we have now a bit redundant. So. It kind of takes away from the spoils of, so say Turkey, for example. Turkey was quite a tipsy, turvy weekend. Stroll got pole, the Mercedes were nowhere. But instead of having that as the grid for Sunday and give us an exciting race, it would give Hamilton called off like P7, didn't he? Or P6 in, at Turkey. Yeah. It would give him two shots at climbing the grid so he could end up starting on pole for Sunday. And they would just completely yep. take away from the fact that Mercedes struggled in qualifying. And we want to see them fight their way through on the Sunday. Yeah. Also, we get we, we get two races of, of like action. It just takes away from takes away from like drivers who have a bad qualifying because they can make it up in the second one, which in in a way is a good point. But then also, it's a bad point. Yeah, I think with obviously, um, I think there's another thing that I don't like as well is that I think with a sprint race, usually with a sprint race in like other series, there's usually some kind of twist to it say like a reverse grid or you know something like that the thing as i see about the sprint race that i just think as well like obviously in the spectator part that's obviously great but i think for a sprint race it's just a bit pointless if you're not adding anything different to it i think obviously there's word about um, the reverse grid races obviously there's lots of talk after that um with when gasly won at monza and 
it's like even though people say like it takes away from the sort of authenticity of it in the same way having a sprint race the point of a sprint race realistically realistically speaking is to add something that you're not going to get on your actual grand prix so i'd have rather have had them maybe do reverse grid races for the sprint race than have a qualifying session for the sprint race because i just think a sprint race is now just a bit of a smaller grand prix so it's just a bit pointless yeah, and the argument as well for, you know, less track time. So, yeah, they're getting rid of practice sessions, but you're now going to have a third distance race where you're going to know way more about the compounds on high fuel in dirty air, which is mm. which could make, you know, the strategy even more boring. I mean, Brazil, uh, what, Canada and Italy are already one-stops, I'm pretty sure, but it's still, you know, that idea of you're just getting, you're just letting them have more track time. And, like... Um, I think Taylor or, or Job is saying this, you're, you're essentially just going to have a, less, you're going to take away from qualifying because like Taylor says, if, if someone has a bad qualifying session or, you know, we could even, you know, I haven't just thought about this now, but, you know, if, it might be tactically used to take, a, take an engine pen, penalty because, you know, if you qualify last in, in, uh, in qualifying and then you have a sprint race, you make up 10 positions, you're now starting 10th. In the race, so the fresh engine as well with a fresh yeah. engine, exactly. Imagine, so, like you know, Mercedes would do that happily, exactly. Or, or Red Bull, Red, Red Bull love an engine change. Interesting, though, that you do say about engines. I was just thinking because they've now got obviously the Friday qualifying, then a Saturday race. What will that do for the reliability of the engines? Now, F1 engines now are, are very reliable anyway, regardless, but. What is it? There was like last season. Was it three, com- three, co- like three yeah. components? Yeah, it's like two or three now. Yeah, which is especially when you got what is it like a, maybe a twenty-three, twenty-two race season, where there could be in the future there could be maybe a sprint race every single weekend or half of the weekends. There's still an extra eleven, twelve races maybe that could put strain on the engines. Not to mention. You'll have a Friday run where if they bring back engine modes, there will be a higher output of power, which means more stress on the engine. Then they'll have another race where they'll have to deal with overheating engines and stuff like that because of traffic. So there could be the chance that the sprint race on Saturday might not actually be that good because they will try and just be safe and make sure that the engines doesn't yeah. have nothing happens to it. Because if it happens in the sprint race, you'll in a very bad position for the Grand Prix. And especially as well, because with the new uh, engine mode uh, ban, you have to have one mode throughout the whole weekend. You know, it, I mean, I guess it, I guess maybe, you know, if you have a bad qualifying, you go, okay, we need to turn the engine up though. But, but then actually, no, because you have to stop it before qualifying. So you have one practice session to sort out your engine mode. And then if you have a bad quality, you could be stuck there because you can't turn it up to 11 and charge through the field so i mean the main thing is we don't know until uh it happens which is why they're trialing it because if it doesn't work okay we won't do it um but if it does work okay maybe we could we could look at this in the future but it's 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 a lot of hypotheticals at the moment yeah hopefully it does work out because i think credit to f1 recently they are like pushing the boat out a bit trying a few new things out yeah and i can give them credit for that to be fair but i'm I'm happy to see them like actually trying it instead of going yeah no full season we're gonna do it 
So at least now, at least if it doesn't go to plan, as you say, they could just drop it and just kind of go, yeah, we were wrong. But or if it goes one right, we go. We, one point I don't think we brought up is that we might have brought up and I might have been completely oblivious, but to me, it devalues a race win if you have two chances to win. So like Gasly and Perez, their wins were special because usually that those things don't happen. It's like once in a blue moon. Um, But their win was special, whereas if it if there was two races a weekend, yeah, okay, it, it might still be a really rare occurrence and Hamilton might win both races or a Merck or Red Bull. But if you win on a Saturday, there'll be no ecstatic post-race celebrations because you know you've got a race on the Sunday. For me, F1's the pinnacle and it should be about the drivers building up to one sole race that weekend and that should be the yeah. main event. And like, hmm. okay, their, their argument is we want better racing so we'll put two races on. But they need to accept that not every race is going to be brilliant the answer isn't just to put more on top. It's just yeah, or does it equal better? Yeah, yeah. Like we're gonna get okay. And the main problem at the moment is the cars, and hopefully twenty twenty two will solve that. Um, but the stuff, the actual format is fine. It's like qualifying didn't need to be changed, and they messed with it because they wanted just to mess with something for the sake of it. They don't have to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um. I think obviously we've kind of covered uh, most of the bases on sprint races, so I think obviously now it's obviously to the next subject, and which about the engine freezers. So yeah, so on the engine freezer. So again, earlier today in the uh, in the F1 Commission meeting, uh, F1 stakeholders have unanimously agreed to implement an early engine freeze. So under the existing rules, it was set to start in 2023. Um, but uh, but now it's been brought forward a year, so it'll be frozen in, uh, in 2022. Um, and it allows manufacturers to still have an opportunity to update their engines uh, for the increased percentage synthetic fuels for this uh, for 2022. Um, and this has opened the door for Red Bull uh, to take over the Honda engines, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, and there's been no indication of the balance of performance. So this was sort of speculated if, you know, if they wanted to make it so sort of have equal engines, like completely equal engines, it could have been done uh, by increasing fuel flow rates. But with this uh, news, it is sort of confirming that Ferrari are confident and Honda, I guess, are are confident in their engines uh, being much better because obviously Ferrari would have never agreed to this if their engines uh were as bad as 2020, um, because that'd just be suicide. Uh, And also in the meeting, there's also mentioned about a driver salary cap, uh, but that's not been confirmed yet. Uh, Maybe another day, that's a topic. Um, But it means that the next generation of engine, uh, which was originally meant to be brought in in 2026, that uh, might also now be brought forward a year to 2025. Um, And their focus is, and this this is a big quote, for this new engine is environmental sustainability and social and automotive relevance, fully sustainable fuel, creating a powerful and emotive power unit, significant cost reduction, and working on the attractiveness to new power unit manufacturers. Um, so that's that's what they're aspiring for, I guess. And we can talk about that quote and dissect it. But uh, just going back to Red Bull, this their agreement which was verbally agreed pretty much as soon as not as soon but quite soon after honda announced they were leaving red bull did have that initial uh, sort of verbal agreement 
is very likely now that they will take over the uh, Honda IP and that engine because Honda do actually have a new engine for this year. And so Red Bull will be taking over their Honda's Milton Keynes uh, plant and also expanding their current uh, campus to have a section for the engine. Um, and so that that's good news then for Red Bull. Yeah, definitely. That that should well, it will indefinitely keep them in in the sport for the future, which is what F one needs. We need we need more teams, not not even less, especially one that is right now the only threat to Mercedes. Yeah, I think obviously with the engines being kept in or the engine free, should I say? Sorry. Um, obviously, I know obviously Honda uh, for this year developed a whole new sort of engine design as our Ferrari for twenty twenty two. If they're obviously not going down the BOP route. Um, well, hopefully that obviously means, as you said, that, that they're confident that their engines are up to spec as that of Mercedes and Renault, who've probably, at the moment, the two clear runaways in the engine game as it stands. Um, and obviously, this sort of like window between now and the end, uh, the new regulations coming into effect for the engines, um, they've just got to kind of make sure that the engines are like obviously as close as they can really and there's no sort of because the problem is now they've put put themselves in a corner where you can't now have a clear engine favorite as we've seen with mercedes in the last few years that just simply can't happen for the next few seasons because there's obviously nothing can be done to get closer to that so hopefully if it does if it was to be that bad the fia or f1 or whatever they'd they'd step in and go yeah then put on the bop balanced performance yeah, you know, I don't. We're not as bad as we were in sort of when the turbo hybrid era did come into effect in 2014. You know, when Mercedes were clear favourites. I think, especially uh, before this, before Ferrari were banned essentially from using their their uh, 2019 engine, um, they were very even. Those four manufacturers very even, and obviously Ferrari have slipped back a bit. I've, and Mercedes have probably st- taken a little step forward. Um, but in terms of, if you just uh, skip forward a bit to the new engines, they say that they want to be environmentally sustainable with social and automotive relevance. Um, they want to work on the attractiveness to new power unit manufacturers. But that's what the 2014 engines were meant to be for. They were meant to have social and automotive relevance and be sustainable and yes they're the most efficient hybrid engines you know ever or not on the market because you can't buy them but yeah out there the most efficient hybrid engines out there um but i just think that they've proven that they're not relevant enough for someone like honda you know they're not they're not really relevant to the motors uh you know motoring industry that they have to have them they're too they're too different and also, yeah. the one brand that they have attracted with these new regulations, Honda, have left. So It's quite underwhelming, for, exactly. for sure. I reckon the FIA are quite underwhelmed how the response was. I think when they did originally join, I think the main people that were, they, they had in mind joining was obviously Honda. Um, obviously, I know there's a lot of talk about um, Volkswagen joining, but I think obviously yeah. that just Audi and Porsche. Th- that faded yeah. away, obviously, with all the Dieselgate and so on. I don't, um, so, I, I, yeah. I don't see Porsche or Audi ever really joining F1 because when Porsche were lasted in F1, it was a terrible, terrible thing. I think they were in like the 80s. I think they did um, engines for like Arrows or uh, like March or Leighton House, and they were terrible, terrible engines. So I think Porsche very much 
sticking to what they believe and can't exactly blame them. It's certainly a, a topic to keep an eye on because obviously we've not the heart heard the full story yet. This is just only this is only the first few steps in into it. So uh, I think we have a discussion on the tra- calendar and track alteration discussion. Yep. So obviously this season, obviously as we saw last year, there was a lot of changes to the calendar. So a lot of uh, tracks come in, standing in, such as Nurburgring, Portimao. Uh, etc. Um, so obviously the first thing really is obviously we've uh, in the F1 meeting today um, there's been confirmation from um, F1 themselves and the FIA that Portimao is set to return for the 2nd of May. Um, I think, I believe it's filling in the gap that Vietnam um, had. Um, obviously that track's coming back and I think it's been quite a positive response to that because the race last year I think there's a lot of concern about the quality of racing there but I think it's it did pretty much prove us wrong. Um, obviously, to start of the race, very hectic. Um, Colossus Science took the lead very, very early on. Then had a substantial lead before um, the t- uh, ties eventually got into their groove. And Mercedes, um, Lewis Hamilton comfortably took, comfortably took the win. Um, so, I think it's going to be quite a good thing. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, qu- I quite like the, the Portimao track. Um, I think... The I think the main issue comes in turn one. It's a bit like Hockenheim turn one. Um, it's very difficult to follow. Like we saw Stroll get hit. Uh, m- maybe some of his fault. Maybe some other drivers being a bit silly as well. But uh, that turn you one, they, they do go, actually have. They you do can actually go have side by side through that though. Yeah, you, Perez and Ocon uh, showed that they could do it just. Mm. But I think there is an alternate uh, turn one layout, which maybe they could use. Uh, and also, they were very yeah. strict on track limits as well. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, maybe, or even just, you know, even if you just extended, you know, the, the curb or allowed them to go a bit wider, it'd be fine. But yeah, I was, I, the, the, the race was, was fine. I would have preferred Mugello. I think that worked quite, I think that was slightly better. Obviously, had a lot of crashes, but it, that wasn't why it was good, in my opinion. I think it did actually prove it. It could have good racing. Turn um, one of Mugello is very, very good for racing. Yeah, yes. it's a very As, good and spectacle. The, 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 the F3 race around Mugello was incredible. Um, so I would have liked to see Mugello. I mean, it, it might still come in, you know. Monaco, for example, is that going to happen? Baku, Probably not. you know. Yeah, these, I, think I, think, I think the super subs from last year might be coming back as, as mm. well this year. Um, we- yeah. With Portimao, I was actually surprised by it. I was not looking forward to it at all. Um, I tend to have quite a pessimistic out view of um, tracks that come into Formula One because there are some, apps, in my opinion, some very bad ones in the current calendar. Uh, Portimao was announced and I was like, not exactly a big fan of it because it's a bike circuit in my opinion you know it suits bikes much more than cars it's uh flowy it's got drops it's got rises it's everything a bike would want but to my surprise it was actually a really good um race in comparison to what i was thinking you know qualifying was exceptional seeing the cars at vomit through some of the corners was incredible um the race you know the start of it was really really brilliant we had Obviously, science running off with it for a bit. Um, Raikkonen had an incredible start uh, from where he from his low starting position, and he was battling with the 
Mercedes, I'm pretty sure, at one point. And once everything died down, obviously, you know, we had the usual Mercedes runoff, but I don't think any track really can stop that just because of how good Mercedes are. But the midfield, again, did not disappoint. It was incredible. We had Stroll having his charge up through from like P10, P11 uh, to about P7, P6 before his accident happened with Norris. Um, we had some be- brilliant racing between uh, Perez and Ocon and Raikkonen and I think Sainz. Sainz had a charge, didn't he, at the end? Yeah. Um, you know, they went side- Gasly as well. Yeah. Gasly had a big that was Gaia Gasly, yeah. They went side by side. I can remember Perez and Ocon and Raikkonen and someone going side by side for almost the first two sectors completely. Um, you know, a perf- a proper, you know, reminds me of like 70s that um, there's, I think there's a video of, I think, Jacques Villeneuve, uh, not Jacques Villeneuve, uh, Gilles Villeneuve fighting someone in, I think, like, I think, Dijon in France or something. And it just reminded me of that because the cars are side by side going up and down these rises. And it was just a beautiful advert for F1, I think. It's a fantastic track, really. I think you don't, there's not many tracks that spring to mind that have like such differing undulation changes. Obviously, I know one track density comes to mind is Knock Hill. Um, you know, and it's it's just a undulation around there. It's amazing. I'd love to see that though. It'd be great. I, I think they take off at turn one, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, so... In terms of Portimao, though, like mm. I thought, I actually, it, yeah, it did surprise all of us. I think the the one criticism, the one stand apart from turn one, the one standalone criticism. It was too busy to pass on that main straight. They need to move the DRS, DRS a bit. Too yeah, yeah, a bit further on. That straight was a bit too long, and the DRS yeah. was a bit enabled a bit too early for them. Like, yeah, DRS is DRS usually, you know, does you, you can see when it affects a car, but on the onboards on that, it was like they clicked into like ninth gear or something, and had like a rocket strapped to the back of it. They were they were flying down that front straight, which then led to obviously the accident with Norris and Stroll. But I don't think that could be blamed to DRS being too powerful i think that's just a bit of a misjudgment but it was a contributing factor to it so i think as you said just move it up a, it doesn't have to be that much you know it can only be like a 100 meters 150 meters from where it is now and it will still do a beautiful job because i'm pretty sure there's like a notorious headwind that goes um to turn one uh, from turn one so pretty much no matter what it will punch a massive hole in the air for cars to follow yeah, so from tracks that are coming onto the calendar to now discuss a track that will not be on the calendar. Yeah, Rio de Janeiro. Obviously, that was confirmed last week to be called off, or not called off, but obviously the construction plans that had initially been uh, laid out, that's been canned. Um, I think it was obviously set to come on either, for, I think it was for next year, 2022, they were trying to get it in for... Um, but there was a lot of opposition, uh, opposition towards it, uh, most notably by Lewis Hamilton, who was strongly opposed to it, because um, obviously it involved uh, uh, building over uh, forests, which is obviously not a really good look for F1 if they're trying to promote sustainability and then you're building an F1 track on a you know big green space. Um, obviously, the good news that comes from that, obviously, is that Interlagos stays, um, which is obviously a very historic track for F1, and it does provide pretty decent race it's one of the better tracks on the calendar i'd say yes i don't think there's really much to say on it i think we're all happy that it's not going ahead into lot mm. of because that's tradition um mm. yeah 
I, I, w I would have I would have liked the change just for the change, but with the reasons behind it, I'm very happy that it's been. It's uh, not. It's not. It's yeah. not the worst track to stay. No, it, yeah. it wasn't so That's bad me. that you have to destroy yeah. a rainforest and put exactly. One there. I think I think if they still had the old Rio circuit, I think like Jack, uh, Jacko Rapuga or whatever it is, I probably absolutely botched that name. But um, they still had that track uh, around. I think they got turfed over in like, the mid nineties. If they still had that around and could expand on that, then yeah, I would be down to them trialing it for a season or two. But you know, to, to destroy a, a rain a forest in Brazil of all places, just it isn't. You know, it's not a good look, and it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so moving on, um, obviously there's been a lot of other new little minor track alterations that have been um, in the pipelines for this season. Um, most notably, um, obviously the Spain. We just had its uh, turn 10 redesigned, which I think it's sort of now emulating what the old MotoGP circuit was um, a few years ago, where it's a much more sort of flowing left-hander um, instead of obviously quite abrupt one that we all know um, from past years. Um, I think it's not going to make much difference to Spain. It's quite a dreary track as, as it is for racing. I think it might add a bit more flow and a bit more interest to it when you're watching on board. That might be a bit more satisfying, but... I don't think it's much more to really add on that, apart from the fact that it's just, yeah, not much really improvement to make to it. Uh, it's going to be even more difficult to overtake yeah. in that corner now. <laughs> yeah. The I, only I, way you're going to improve Spain is to get rid of the final chicane, and they wouldn't yeah. do that because of safety yeah. grounds. So yeah, I think, as it is. yeah <laughs> I think when they announced that they were doing those changes to the final set, I was like, oh, yeah, finally, we're going to get rid of the, the chicane complex that we don't need. But obviously, that's that's going to stay because, especially after the fatal accident of Louis Salon in Moto Two, uh, from like, I think twenty sixteen, that's going to be a permanent fixture for the track layout. Now, I don't see really F one ever using the two the double rights how they yeah. should have been used just because of how quick the cars are now. So yeah. I think yeah, for testing, Barcelona is fine, but I just mm. and I I know why it's there because they have two. Huge Spanish drivers, and so commercially, commercially, it makes sense to have it there. But it's it, surely there's somewhere else in Spain where they can have a have, yeah. a, have a Aragon. It's, Aragon. it's a bit like France, where they there's so much presence or so much heritage for that country in F1 that they have to have they, on the calendar. Yeah, but the yeah. circuits but they made the wrong just aren't good enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't even on say the, Aragon's yeah. good enough. It's just about like it's it's the best mm. of a bad bunch. Yeah, yeah. for I, F1 purposes. Mm. On the subject of France, obviously, um, obviously there's word as well of them having obviously their uh, tracks being resurfaced. I don't think, obviously, by the time F1 comes around, I don't think it'll have that much of an impact as it did in tracks like Turkey and Portugal, where they did the resurfacing the week before. Um, so I don't think there's going to be much change to, on that regard. Um, they are, it does say that they're doing some minor alterations to some of the profiles of the corners, so it's going to be a little bit more smoother in some areas because. I think obviously one complaint I think from drivers a few years ago, I think it was, um, is that there's quite some significant bumps in certain parts of the uh, track. So I think they're trying to iron those out, um, in especially in areas such as turn five and turn seven. Um, it's nothing much really significant, but obviously it's something worth worth touching up upon. Um, um, and then obviously lastly, um, obviously got Australia, which is probably the most significant stuff that's in the works apparently. Um, obviously, turn one and turn six, um, and then to have their tracks widened, or the sorry, the the road widened or track, which will hopefully make it more easier to race side by side. 
Um, the turn nine chicane that looks like it could be on its way out and just be replaced with a, just a straight line towards the fast left right chicane. Um, and then as well at turn thirteen, there's also word that, that there might be an adding of camber uh, into that corner, just just to help the overtaking opportunities. It's, it's, it's funny you mentioned the, the the turn nine bit of it because obviously when you're for us, you know, we can't obviously drive a Formula One car in real life around out park. So when you're on like um, a game version of it and you get to that point, you see that that there's that other uh, like section of the uh, tarmac, yeah, yeah, that like that has a wall that points at it, but you can use it as like a cheat code if you're uh, running late in qualifying or something. You can just cut across it. I, I think that's what they're going to try and do with it. That's the only kind of alternative you can imagine, especially mm. like a quick fix if they're doing yeah. it this late in the yeah, year. Yeah, I think, I think they're going to try and straight line it. Mm. Yeah, because I think, yeah. like, I think it's going to be a long straight down there. Yes. A really so, long straight. Exactly. And I, then they're going, to be, they're going to be arriving side by side. They're maybe going to be yeah, side by side. side, side. Yeah. Mm. To probably the, the best section on the circuit. Will they put a fourth DRS zone in? Because, I mean, the, uh, the other three kind of make sense. Or will they get rid of the one after the fast? I'd say they'd probably get rid of one and just maybe move it, if anything. Yeah. I think, I think, that's too fair. I think they might add that, but not have it as, like, a fourth zone. Keep it as a, like, does they have it coming out of the chicane where the Sector 1 split usually is? And you go around, and you get to a certain point, DRS is open. And then, obviously, then it'll, like, yeah, you, have to, you have to turn it off before the very quick chicane because there's no way you're going to survive through there with the DRS open and then open it back up again but I think they could sort of implement it that it's like one zone but it automatically turns off before you go th- when you get to a certain yeah, point like a control line every profile in the corner the, co- the corners before that to get the car to make the car be able to follow each other closely and then you're going to have a mm. um, really long curve straight because it, it kind of curves off right and then it'll curve off right again and then go up towards the far chicane. It's going to be a really. Which then also curves left as well, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's going to be yeah. a. Re- it'd be a bit like Hanoi. You've got like the, the curved yeah. roads of Hanoi. No, I don't think it'd be that long. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not that long. I'm not talking about how the length, yeah. like the way like they've got a lot of curved straights around Hanoi. And in the final yeah. sector, especially, it's like you've got like that flat out part that curves. It'll kind of mm. be like that, but obviously wider and the barriers won't be as close. Yeah, yeah. I say I fair enough because yeah. the, the the track layout at the moment, you know, at least they're trying something. You know, why exactly. is it in turn one and turn six? Is it going to make a huge or turn three or no, turn six? Is it going to make a huge difference? Probably not, but yeah, at least they're trying. And also as well, they're trying to make the pit lane wider or something. Are they going to get rid of the grass? Uh, as you saw, Ricardo hit Ricardo's in uh, 2019. Yeah. yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna they're gonna remove that I think to try and make the pit lane pit lane wider. Um, they're, which they're will allow the, the inc- which, yeah, which will allow the speed limiter limit. to be yeah be higher uh, to try and encourage yeah yeah to which try and encourage the, uh, the yeah see yeah, a lot to, of changes to, that pit lane yeah yeah to try yeah. and increase the uh the amount of uh, of stops to make the obviously the pit lane delta to make it shorter yeah. so. Uh, a, a two-stop is more favourable. And they're also resurfacing the track layout, the entire track layout for the first time since it started hosting the Grand Prix in 1996. That's, that's, quite, that's a, quite, quite a major change. That's 25 It's public years. roads mm. as well, so yeah. it's going yeah. to be quite tough. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so you know how uh, I think it's Taylor said it, um, you've got uh, France and Spain, like, you know, heritage in motorsport, but they've got not that good of a bunch of tracks for f1 
Australia fits into that category so well. I'd agree, know, yeah. Because quite, they have uh, yeah. they have iconic tracks in Australia. You know, you've got um, Bathurst, which is obviously the most famous one in Australia, but then you've got other tracks like Queensland and Winton. But none of them are good enough for F1. There's a, maybe one, it's called The Bend. But again, I've seen the layout of that. I've seen races on that. It's good for touring cars and GTs, but it's just never going to be good enough for F1. So they, they're forced into racing at Australia. Oh, uh, well, not Australia, but at Albert Park. And to change it like this, with this dramaticness, they're obviously vying to keep it on the calendar for years to come. I don't think every race needs to be a massively overtaking race. Like, for the no, first race of the not. season, uh, the, the, the Melbourne venue, it has very, very good vibes to, to start off the, the, the calendar with. Um, yeah, I agree. And, you know, as well, having it, you know, at 5am, it... You, it, it's 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 fine because it's the first race, you know. If it's going to be like it is this year in November, it might be a bit more of a struggle. But uh, mm. but yeah, I mean, always... as well, that that's 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 going to be pretty much you know summer time, and uh, which make you know it could be very very hot, and they already have it just you know at twilight, just as the uh, as the as the sun's coming down. So I can't move any later, so it's uh yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's it's a bit of a stupid comparison because of the two completely different climates, but it's like um when Ed Silverstone this year, much later than usual, uh in the middle of a massive heat wave, and you saw the effects that it had on the tires. You know, we had a tire failure, uh three in the same race, didn't we? We had um Kiviat's yeah. tire failure. Uh, Beckett's, which resulted in a rather hefty shunt. Then you that was both more the... curb usage, though. That wasn't. Mm. That was. Yeah, it was more curb usage. But I think was it the two the two Mercedes ones was down to a mixture of curb uh, curb usage and also how Where? hot the yeah. track and was. And science as well. Oh, yeah, Carlos oh yeah, science. and science. Yeah, yeah. So there was four in that race, and there's never there's Silverstone. There's not been that much of a. It's not, it wasn't even that much big of a controversy compared to 2013, but which was pretty much down to the same type of thing. But it's very much a, a worry for a, especially a track like, uh, in Australia because of how hot it can get sometimes in Australia during their summer. I think one final thing to take away from the track talk is that you've got to remember these alterations aren't for one year, they're for the future. And I think it's interesting that we say that Australia doesn't have many good tracks for F1 yet. And that's the same with a lot of countries like France, Spain. But they have a lot of good circuits for other series. So you've got to take it with a pinch of salt that these cars aren't, they aren't the, they've not been the best they are in F1. They're probably one of the worst yeah. for the racing product. So, But they're not the only thing that exists for these tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for yeah. Um, Albert Park because they do. I think 2022 onwards is like the better mm. judge if like to judge these changes. I know 2021's potentially the fairest yeah. indicator yeah. whether changes have worked. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's obviously still with Albert Park, it's like, it's one of the... It's just a weird one, because it, it only has like, two or three support categories and it's Australian ones. And it's literally, as you said, it's like, it's such a fun atmosphere, because there's non-championship races, I think, for the Australian series, and it's their chance to show themselves with a massive crowd. And for us, we're getting up at 6, 5 a.m. in the morning. And even if it's going to be a boring race, it's still such a good feeling to wake up at that time and know F1 is back. So oh, if, yeah. there's an, if there's an added bonus of it being an incredibly good race, I'm all for it. 
Mm-hmm. Give us give us a sprinkle of rain at 2010. I'm sure sure we'll all be enjoying Australia. Don't yeah. mind that. Now, our final topic of the night is the EA Sports takeover of Codemasters. Now, we, as we know, EA Sports is probably the one of the biggest, if not the biggest, gaming company out there right now. They own uh, they have subsidiaries such as Rockstar and 2K. Now they've got Codemasters who haven't got the best track record in making games. They've It's a reported uh, $1.2 billion fee that they've paid to take over it. I think it's actually a very good thing for um, the F1 fan base because it means that now F1 is finally... It's going to be a, a mainstream game because of who is yeah, the publisher. Definitely. I think you look at the success of FIFA... Um, obviously, the sales-wise, I think the game, obviously, I think we're all in green, so it's not a very good game. But the fact is, the way they've made FIFA such a big, huge franchise, um, obviously, they've done the same with, obviously, NFL. Obviously, I think F1, had, uh, EA had a license to F1 a good few years ago now, and I believe everyone spoke very highly of those games from back in the day. Um, I think they'll bring, yeah, as you said, they'll take F1 into, like, a mainstream level, I think. Um, as long as they don't kind of saturate it with microtransactions and you know stuff like that, I'm all for it because I think it will give them Codemasters the funding they need to actually maybe make a, f- a full product for a game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's 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 only a benefit. Like Codemasters are kind of taking the franchise as far as they can. They they've done a with what yeah. they've got. They've done a good job. Like not a spectacular job because there are a lot of issues, but they've done a good job. Because even where the F1 game was, I mean, it took them. It's in 2015 to have the AI that would actually like race you, like F1 2010 to 2014 mm. on console or PC. They had that, they um, had that trait, didn't they, on like the first lap? Yeah, they, would, they were just a thousand yeah, meters early. early. Well, they wouldn't yeah. be <laughs> I mean, they were buggy to start with in 2015, but at least they kind of like, they've gotten better and better. They didn't yeah. even have career mode in 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there that wasn't was even one. Yeah. one. With the EA's, EA's back in, they can definitely like. Imagine the Frostbite engine. Like the, the the game faces in Codemasters games aren't the best. Imagine the Frostbite engine with F1. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the, like yeah. we've seen Lewis Hamilton and Daniel Ricciardo already in the FIFA Vault yeah. game mode. And they, they did look, look incredible. very good. Mm. Yeah. Especially Hamilton with like, his hair. Like, mm. just the detail on it. And you can actually see, like, sort of the. Because he's got, like, tattoos that go up to sort of, um, the back of his neck as well. And you could see, actually, the details of the tattoos, where in F1, it's a bit. Mm, yeah, obviously, you know they have they'll have their um the turtleneck of the uh the race suit on, but Hamilton, you can see a bit of like um he has like wings I think at the back of his neck or something. Um, you can see that sometimes when he's uh like turning around, and you never really get to see that detail in the F one game. It's sort of like it's like a plastic model that they've used. I mean, they are wearing a helmet most of the time, but uh... yeah, obviously they're wearing most of the time. It's like you know when they're on the uh, podium or something. Yeah, I know, I know. Obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not. You know the main thing is the racing, the the content, and the, yes. and the AI, uh, and you know different kind of features. You know, um, and I think as well, I think they said that they're going to try, they're going to keep, you know, the current team of Codemasters. They're not going to try and uh, in the short that. term, yeah, yeah, yeah take too that, much yeah. away from it. They're just going to allow extra funding and extra manpower, which is um, only which is, yeah, which, which is which is good because you know Codemasters currently running out of a shed in Birmingham. No, they don't have massive resources. They can't compete <laughs> yeah. with these huge uh, companies. Um, and I think as long as they don't, 
you know but you know we've seen we've seen their trajectory like they've brought f2 cars in they've done my team like that's quite revolutionary and with liberty um sort of allowing to... yeah being more open i think mm. i think it could i think it is quite exciting and also ea will have like i think pretty sure with the driver transfers they just did it co-master did it without like any um conversations they, like, they, yeah, they, were, didn't, like, they didn't really tell the teams whereas like mm. whereas ea would be able to they'd have the financial resource to be able to do stuff like that obviously it's not and, like, yeah. relevant now because they've done it and it's fine but mm. and as well i think we'd see a head uh, like for when you're making it your driver or whatever i think or your team there'll be a lot more uh customizable options you know such like when you're making a your like say a pro clubs player you can just you can design everything for the face and um and then you can wear certain types of boots and have certain types of socks so there's that chance you know that when you're designing your team you can have a certain brand that makes your race suits instead of it just being like a a code masters base thing they mm. could you could actually have puma or um alpine stars which I think yeah. is a very... It just adds that extra little bit that is... It's just been missing from yeah. Codemasters games. Um, the little details, I, yeah. And I think just with the money that they can put in, they can just improve the overall quality of the game in terms of bugs. They can maybe laser scan tracks because we, you know, they've been focusing really on trying to make the game more... Not eSports level, but more of an actual driving game because... It's still at that weird stage where it's like you can have really quick pay players competing on a gamepad compared to someone who's got a, like a five hundred pound wheel. I'm not saying that it should like alienate pad players, but I think that with EA there could be that option for a, a simulated style of steering for a wheel that actually makes you have the characteristics of a car more than what it has now. It definitely gives them more flexibility for the, and that can only be a good thing for the future. Definitely, and it's not it's not just F one as well that it um, affects Codemasters. They have uh, WRC under their control as well, which that'll only improve their games for WRC. And I think as well they have um, other series uh, such as I think the British Touring Cars. I think it is going. With yeah, Codemasters I think or something. No, I think that's with motorsport games. They're the ones ah. who do the NASCAR games, I think. But they've got—I do see what you mean. They have got a really strong portfolio of like subtitles under their belt. That I think that that uh, EA will only help them to sort of grow on that, really. Mm-hmm. Especially things like the Dirt series. The, yeah, know, but really... the, the Dirt series is the Codemasters staple. You know, it's been there since the start. It's their main thing. And EA—they have their own. You know, they've got Need for Speed. Now, Need for Speed is probably on par with Forza as the biggest game, like, driving game in the world. You know, would you, would you, like, agree with that? It's been there since, like, the start of consoles. It's it's just fun. You know, you can get into yeah, your favourite supercar. Game, yeah. yeah, you can get into your favourite supercar and drift around the city. You know, there's yeah. not really much games that you can do that. And it's mm. just good for casual stuff. So there's that chance that it can bring F1 to... The a mass audience yeah. while also making it just a that little bit more niche if that yeah. makes sense it, it's going to be it's only just going to get better i don't see either you, you know you have that uh argument of oh the microtransactions uh pay bundles and stuff like that i don't see how that's really going to affect an f1 game which already has microtransactions anyway you know 
you can buy certain types of helmets and uh, gloves already that will cost you real life money. So I don't see it as an an evil in that regard because Codemass is already doing it. Yeah, I think the well, I think we can all all agree that all an unanimous agreement that EA taking over Codemass can only be a good thing for the future of the F one game franchise. Oh, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah, so that has been the first episode of the Pallet Talk podcast. Hopefully you all enjoyed. We will try to get better as the weeks and months go on and hopefully you stick with us as we embark on this new journey. Um, this should be going out on YouTube, but I'm not sure what other platforms we plan to release on yet. That all you'll see in the description if you check the YouTube video and then we'll be more clear. We'll be yeah. more clear <laughs> on what platform is out on in the future. Right, right now it's in a preliminary phase. But uh, yeah, I have, I've been Taylor, and thanks to Tom, Joel, and Nat for joining me today. Yeah, tune in next time.